tonight. Book of Jude. Someone asked me, going to finish it out tonight? (laughs) I think we've learned that we don't promise things like that. Amen. (laughs) Holy Spirit does what he wants and we just uh, uh, praise God for it. Amen. I really enjoy our Wednesday night studies and I hope you do as well. And if you don't, uh, don't tell me. <laughs> Amen. But I, I pray that, uh, that it's a help to you, and I sure enjoy getting in the Word of God. Are you doing well with your Bible reading this year? Yeah. Amen. Amen. So I, hope, I pray that you're faithful to it. And if you need accountability, then just ask someone. Get, a, get somebody. Maybe it'd be a, someone in the family, and if that's not it doesn't work out for you, then come to one of the assistant pastors or come to a deacon. Say, make me accountable. Ask me about it. And uh, help me to be faithful in the Word of God. That's a good thing. Amen? Amen. And uh, I, I tell you, it's, it's been a while now since I've been reading through my Bible every year and all of that. But every time I get something new, I get something fresh, and God speaks to me and He uses it, and it sure is a blessing Learning and growing with my Savior. Amen? Now, He doesn't need to grow. I need to grow. But I get to be with Him while I'm growing. Amen? And so it's a, it's a blessing. And Jude here. All right, somebody help me here. What is, what's the theme? What's the topic, man? Apostasy. That's right. Apostasy. Or falling away from the truth. And Jude says, I wanted to write under the common salvation. I wanted to write a gospel, uh, another gospel book. But He said, the Holy Spirit directed me to write about apostasy and warn of things. And so we've seen a lot of that. We'll pick up in verse 14. It's where we left off, talking about Enoch, the prophet here. It says, and Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these. Now, who's he talking about? These. Those are the ones that we mentioned, of course, every single time. We're talking about verse 4. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's who he's prophesying about. Verse 14 again. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints, to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now there's a lot in those two verses and we just tapped the, just got into it just a little bit last week. We were talking about Enoch. Enoch is the one who was translated on up to heaven. He was walking with God and God said, it's time. Come on home. He got raptured up. And um, again, we're looking forward to the rapture to come. Maybe today. Amen? Maybe tomorrow. Come on. Uh, and uh, it'd be great. be fantastic going home uh, to heaven. But, the, but Enoch, way back yonder in Genesis, way before even the flood, is prophesying about something in our future. He's prophesying about the day of Armageddon when, when, when Armageddon happens. The end of the world really is what people think of when they think of that word. Armageddon is a word that comes out of the Revelation. And it's when, of course, the world marches on Jerusalem to overtake the city. And the Bible says that half the city is overtaken. 
And then Jesus comes back and steps on the Mount of Olives and splits it in two and says, I'm the one. I'm your, I'm your Savior. I'm the Christ, the one that you rejected. And, uh, and of course, uh, he saves Israel physically at that time uh, from that, that army, that enemy. And, of course, uh, praise God, if you haven't read Revelation 19, white horses, right, following behind, wearing white, white robes. He's on a white horse. I think we're on white horses. Brother Martini will have to double-check me on that one, read it later. And uh, uh, we get to watch it. We get front-row seat. I mean, come on, think about it. Brother, Brother Marion on a white horse holding on to the mane. Okay? John Kidwell's behind him going, doo, doo, doo. I don't know if he'll have a shotgun slung over his shoulder or not, but he, he'll be excited anyway. All right? And so think about that. That's what Enoch's talking about. Jesus Christ is coming back. But why, he says, here in particular, the context is talking about those that have come away from the truth. Those people that need to be reminded who Jesus Christ is, he's coming to judge them. right? And it says here that Enoch prophesied of these, and the Lord's coming, 10,000 of his saints. Now, I always, I, you picture angels, but... Saints are people, are us, amen? And uh, does it, did he write 10,000 just to say a number? Just to, I think he wrote that to mean it's a big number, okay? If you saw a group of 10,000, uh, that'd be a big host, amen? And so, but look at verse 15, to execute judgment. He is coming to judge. Remember, Jesus Christ will sit on his throne in Jerusalem, Remember, the Antichrist at this point has, uh, has declared himself to be the Christ. And I believe the way that Daniel talks about that is that the desolation of des, desecr- I always mix those words up. But he's talk- it, he enters into, the, into the, um, the temple, which will be rebuilt at that time. Okay? This is halfway through the tribulation time. And I believe what it talks about. I believe the way the text is, the way that it describes it, is that he will set up idol worship of himself in the temple. And what uh, unbelievable, you know, the Antichrist, and Jesus Christ comes back, gets rid of all that, judges these folks, and then sits on the throne in Jerusalem. Praise God for that. You know what we're talking about? We're talking about the millennial kingdom, where we get to rule and reign with him. Amen? Now, now the Israel... The, the nation of Israel will be in their Beulah land, will be in their physical promised land, restored, but we'll be around the world ruling and reigning with Him. And that's where I've teased you a little bit, and I wonder who will get, you know, Harper's Ferry and Martinsburg and Inwood and all that, right? I've teased a little bit with that. But that's, the truth is that we will, we will rule and reign with Him, all right? And so notice the wording here, though, verse 15, to execute judgment upon all, and to convince all that are ungodly. That word convince, consider what that word means. Right? It's to show them, to prove to them that they are ungodly. Jesus isn't coming back to just be like he was the first time. He's not coming as a servant like he did when he was born in a manger. He's coming in his might and in his majesty with the power of that he has. I almost said the power of heaven, but that's not, it's his power. 
It's all Him. Amen? He's coming in that. So there will be no, He will have no restriction. He will not be held back. He won't set His deity aside or His power or His glory aside. He'll be in it all. He'll be, he'll be that shining figure that John, Peter, James, and John saw on the Mount of Transfiguration. Amen? As we continue here, it says, He'll convince all that are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds. This world is wicked, is it not? Which they have ungodly committed in all of their, look at this, all of their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against Him. There are people in this world that deny Christ as being the Christ. They say He's just a man and that He died and, and somebody stole his body. The, the, when it says hard speeches, it's talking about accusations or even um, denying Jesus of who he is. Right? It's, it's against him is, what, it, is what, the, what it's saying here. That's the context and the, and the meaning of, this, of, this, of these words here. And so think about through the ages of people who have mocked Christ and his work in the church and saving of souls you know, oftentimes as we sing these songs about the blood of Jesus Christ, I've, I've mentioned oftentimes some people say, man, you have a bloody gospel and you serve a bloody God. And people that mock that, they're going to be judged and they're going to understand that, that that is truth and that is right. And these people that have spoken against Christ and, and these hard speeches. I'm on the winning side. Amen? And I know it's difficult when we read things about our country and about things that are going on in our country. I just wrote my, um, uh, I just wrote um, uh, the, our representative just this week because I got news that um, the, nec- the next thing that's going on, our embassies around the world, they don't, j- they don't just fly the American flag like they ought to, but they, they're, they're putting other flags up over our embassies around the world. You know what flags those are? The pride, gay pride flag, and, and Black Lives Matter, and all this stuff and that, that represent a small group of people, but don't represent the whole. And I found out about that, and there's, a, there's a, um, um, something in Congress being put out right now, an, an act, or a bill, excuse me, that's being put out that's, um, I asked our representative to, to vote for it and to sponsor it and help. The American flag is the only one that ought to be flying because it's the one that represents everybody. Now, it does represent those that don't believe like us, but that's America. They have that freedom. And there is no better flag than the red, white, and blue. Oh, glory. Amen. Amen and amen. And uh, praise God for that. And so let's, uh, let's move on, please. Verse 16. These are murmurers, complainers, Walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. All right, well, I just, I'm not going to re-preach Sunday night's message, but we talked about complaining. God doesn't like that. Now, he was displeased with the complaining of the people of the Old Testament. And here he's talking about murmurers and complainers. All right, and so uh, these, these folks uh, uh, in the flesh, they are not of the Spirit. And our flesh likes to focus in on ourselves, right? When our head is right here on us, looking right down at our feet or right where we're at, 
We forget everything else that's going on all around us, and it's so easy to complain about right here. And then God's not pleased with that. Walking after their own lusts, what they want, what they feel, what their flesh wants, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words. There are people in this world that are real big talkers, aren't they? If you haven't followed an election in any recent day, you'll <laughs> maybe. Okay, there's big swelling words going on. There's big talkers, are there not? And there can be even in our churches. Let's be cautious of that because we're nothing. It's all about Him. Amen? Let's be cautious on these things. Having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. In other words, talking something up or, or bribing somebody with your words and even your money so that we can get advantage. Verse 17, But beloved, <clears throat> remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. How that they told you there should be mockers in the last time. Who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the spirit. Now in verse 17, beloved. Beloved, beloved. They said both ways. Okay, Where is another book in the Bible where we hear that word often, beloved? John used it, but Song of Solomon especially, beloved. Okay? This is a word that is used, uh, that God uses for His own. His, those that are saved, those that are His, those are the children of God, beloved. John talks, uh, talking to the church, beloved, and, and he calls them children as well. And uh, I know some preachers that use that word using a Bible terminology, beloved. And maybe you would like it if I said beloved to you. Uh, but I... I haven't done that. Amen. But, uh, but that's, that's the terminology. God uses that towards His people. Okay? And so now, He's talking about these that He's bringing judgment on, but He turns and He's telling us, remember. He's calling attention back to us. Now, this is what you need to do. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is that? The words spoken of the apostles. Now this is Jude, remember. And, and Jude is writing, they don't have the whole New Testament yet. He's calling them back to the early church. The words of the apostles, the ones who taught when there was no New Testament. That gave the teachings of Christ that they had received to the early church after He ascended to heaven. Yes? That's the words of the apostles. In Acts chapter 2, the Bible says the church, um, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Remember that? That's Acts chapter 2. Every, uh, regularly, they were in the apostles' doctrine. They were learning the truth of what Christ wanted for the church, which later he used and turned into the Word of God. Amen? That's where we get the, the Gospels. That's where we get uh, some of the letters, the epistles of the New Testament. Amen. From Paul, from Peter, from John, from James, from all these, right? And so that's what we're talking about here. And so the words of the apostles, verse 18, how, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. What's a mocker? It's that same word that Peter talks about in his book, scoffer. Scoffers, scoffers, I'd say scoffers, um, mockers, scoffers, people that 
openly run their mouth against the truth and criticize. Most of us have seen a mocker or a scoffer. They're not, well, they're not uh, respected in our eyes. Somebody that, that op- runs their mouth and mocks something openly. Um, sometimes through the years we come against a young person that hasn't been trained to, to rule their mouth. And sometimes they can mock things trying to be funny and it's disrespectful. And um, it's silliness. But then there's those people that do it against the truth and against the Lord Jesus Christ and against His Word. And uh, I remember being an early teenager. I mean, preteen, I guess. And I had something in my book bag that had to do with, with something in church. I don't remember exactly what it was. But I remember one guy, one guy in class, I was in public school, school and he, I, he says, you're one of them Bible people? And, and he began to try to make fun of me over it. I remember that. And I'll never forget that kind of stuff. And uh, that's what God's talking about here, these mockers, uh, that they should walk after their own ungodly lusts. Remember, when we're not in the Spirit and we're following our flesh, we do what we feel and what we want. Ungodly lusts. You know what what you're capable of. Don't let that be. Walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. and, And what's the Bible teach us now? Mortify the flesh. What does that mean? That means die to self. Sometimes I feel like something. You with me? Anybody have some history with the world's music? Sometimes you feel like something. God says, don't walk after your ungodly lusts. You do what's right. And the Spirit of God will help you if you walk in the Spirit and deny the flesh. Say, no, I'm not going to do what I want. I'm going to do what pleases my God. And I'm not going to grieve the Spirit of God. Amen? Amen. Praise God for that. These be they, verse 19, who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. When it says separate here, we we use the term separated oftentimes in in fundamentalism in, in our churches. We use the word separate as being separate from the world. But here it's talking about these ungodly people who have separated themselves. And the truth be told, Jesus Christ, Hebrew says, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yes? They are the ones that have separated from the truth, denying the truth. The truth has not changed. And they have separated themselves to be sensual. Okay? Normally how we'd use that word... Um, I looked this word up and it really is talking about natural, the natural man. And the natural man is sensual. Okay? Our own ungodly lusts. Okay? And so it's the natural man, not of the spirit, and having not the spirit. Now, if you don't have the spirit, what's that mean? You're not saved. The New Testament teaches those that are saved have the Holy Spirit of God. Ever since that day that the Lord allowed that to take place at at, at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, that people that are saved now have the Holy Spirit of God. So if you have not the Spirit, you're not saved. 
All right, let's continue on. Verse 20, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. There's a lot in these. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves. How do you build up yourselves? It's a saying here. Remember, remember the context here. The context is about apostasy. It's about falling away from the truth. So Jude is reminding people here, now that we've talked about these examples and these, and these apostate teachers that are leading people astray, let us be cautious to build ourselves up on the truth. Somebody help me tonight. How do you build yourself up? Stay in the Word. That's exactly right. That's a big emphasis right there, isn't it? We ought to be in the Word. James says the Bible is a mirror. And we look into the mirror. And beholding ourselves, we see where we don't line up. So we can fix it. That's why it's important to be in the Word. And that's why this, uh, about a month ago, I was just pushing this and trying to encourage you to be in the Word. On, on getting started at the beginning of the year, getting faithful and being in the Word. And I know some of you are like me and not, not great readers or, or not have that great desire to read. But I'm telling you what, as I listen to my Scripture, it sure helps me. Sure helps me. And some of you, I know because you've told me, you're doing the same thing. Praise God for being in the Word. And you don't, we don't all have to have the same plan and, and follow the same way through the Bible. But as long as we're in the Word... Doing what works for you, spending time with your God. Amen? And that's important. Building up ourselves, or yourselves, on on your most holy faith. Okay? Praying in the Holy Ghost. Let's not forget prayer. That's an important part. We're in the Word of God, and and dwelling with the Lord, and, and as we're in the Word of God, as I'm in the Word of God, I pray and say, Holy Spirit... Help me, to, help me to understand this. Help me to make sense of this. Uh, you hear me sometimes pray from the pulpit. Enlighten the scripture to me so I know what it means and what you have for me out of this. And, and we are to be praying in the Holy Ghost. Praise God we have him. He helps us. He reminds us of things to pray for. And the Bible says when we don't know what to pray, he utters, this, utters the prayers for us. That's Bible. Amen. Praise God for that. Verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Okay, to keep, I wrote it down here, means to watch or to keep an eye on. Okay, what, what is Hebrews, I think it's chapter 2 if I'm not mistaken. It says, uh, take heed, take heed, lest at any time we let these things slip. In other words, What Ephesians says, walk circumspectly. Keep our eyes open. We live in an ungodly, wicked world. You know it, I know it. And those of you that work in the world and work out in the secular world and you you work around junk throughout your day, you know and you hear it and you're influenced by it all day long. That's why being in the Word and being at church is so great and so, so important for us. Right? And, uh, and the Bible says here to keep yourselves in the love of God. Let's remember the love that Christ has 
and what he wants in our lives. Amen? Keep an eye on it. Keep a watchful. Walking circumspectly means keep your eyes open. I once, somebody was preaching on that once, and I, I don't know if it was college or where it was. It was just an illustration that stuck in my mind. And one time he had a, uh, the, the preacher called up somebody on the stairs of the altar and said, put your hand out on the stairs and don't move it. And he took a hammer out and started beating on the stairs. And the guy that's sitting there with his hand, his eyes started getting a little big. <laughs> he said, that's exactly what walking circumspectly is. Somebody's swinging a hammer and we ought to keep our eyes open. Because the devil's out to destroy you. And let's watch. Because this world is wicked. And wouldn't they love? Brother Horton, the devil would be, would be he would win. He could pluck you off. Because here you are an assistant pastor in a great ministry. And if he could just get you, how many people would go down with you? You with me now? Moms and dads, grandma and grandpas, deacons and, and, and Sunday school teachers and, and people that are influenced and have a great influence in this church. If he could get you, how many others would be affected? That's why we got to walk circumspectly for our own sake and for our family's sake and for our church's sake. Amen. Amen. All right, we're about out of time. I think we can finish it. What do you think? Let's go. Buckle your seatbelt. Here we go. We're looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Looking for that blessed hope. Praise God, He's coming. Amen. Verse 22. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now, I used to read that verse differently. I used to think about it differently in verse 22. It's a common verse that oftentimes you hear preached about being soul winners. Okay, what's it say again? It says, and of some have compassion, making a difference. I used to think it was have was having. Consider how different that verse would be if it said having. Look what it, it says, and of some having compassion, making a difference. It doesn't say that, does it? It's not talking about somebody else who needs to have compassion. It's talking about me, that on some people I need to have compassion. You with me? Some of us are more compassionate than others. That's just the way it is. My wife is the compassionate one in the home. Praise God for it. I come home and here we go. And she's like, Whew. right? If without my wife, I would have killed my kids 10 years ago. <laughs> Addie Bell's only 10 years old, so there you go. All right. Um, and, and just, I'm just a captain of the boat, right? Here we go. This is what we got to do. And boom. And she's like, hug them. <laughs> compassion, right? So, and of some have compassion. That means there are some people that have, think of the context of the book. We're talking about apostasy. Some people have been deceived and led astray. Yes? Some people in your own families have been taught what's not right and have been led astray by other influences. Have compassion. Some people need a Barnabas with an arm over around the shoulder and say, I love you, 
I'm going to work with you. Hey, if somebody that has been in church has been a part of our church family and now they're not faithful anymore, don't, when they come back to church, where have you been? I have heard that. And people get on their case. Where, you know how long it's been since you've been here? Why are we doing that? This ought to be a safe haven. This ought to be a welcoming place. We love people around here. And if you don't, then you ought to. Amen? And they come back and we ought to love them. Think of the the mercy and and the grace God has shown towards me. I ought to show that towards other people. Amen? Love people. Thank you for coming to church. I love you. And so they got weird looking hair and it's different colors and it's you know, cut this way or that way or looking like Brother Martini, whatever it is, all right? So what? Love on them. They smell like cigarettes or alcohol or whatever. Love on them. Because that's what Jesus did. Have compassion. But then there's others. Look at verse 23. Here we go. And others saved with fear. Pulling them out of the fire. Okay? Save means to deliver or preserve them. There are some people that we got we to gotta duck in there, get them, and get out. Be cautious on this thing. I know there's been talk of yesteryears of men going into bars and getting up on the, getting up on the, uh, the bar there and preaching the gospel. And I've heard the same thing about, you know, like these, these places down on Route 11 going down south of here. Some of the same debauchery going on down there. Uh, going in there and preaching the gospel and all that. Be careful. Because when we go in by ourselves and we're dealing with these things and we're trying to help somebody and we're dealing with sin, it's so easy for the devil to tempt us and get us off track. We save with fear. We go in, preach the gospel, and man, we got to be careful walking circumspectly. But at the same time, there's, there's multiple applications here. At the same time, there's some people that need a Paul and there's some people that need a Barnabas. Barnabas didn't reach everybody, and neither did Paul. Understand, if you don't know what I'm talking about, Paul was the, bless God, amen, woo, in your face. Right? He told John Mark, you quit on me once, I'm done with you. Get out of here. Didn't he? John Mark didn't need a Paul. He needed a brother, I almost said brother Martini. He needed a Barnabas. You are a Barnabas. Thank you. Thank you so much. He is a Barnabas. But John Mark needed a Barnabas. And didn't, didn't John Mark come back around? He did. And he wrote the gospel, the two. God used him. Amen? But at one time he quit. And he chased after other things. So there's, there's multiple applications here. But let's learn this. Let, let, let's focus on this for a moment. That sometimes somebody needs a Paul. And sometimes they need a Barnabas. Okay? If you, if you are like me, you know that somebody's either going to really like you or they're going to hate your guts. <laughs> Why? Because I can say some things that really hurt people. And other people need that. You understand what I'm saying? Everybody's personality 
needs somebody else. You understand what I'm saying. So I, I'm more of a, I, I can be more of a Paul, but I try to be a Barnabas when I need to be. You understand what I'm saying there. John Kidwell, I think there's no shadow of a doubt that you're a Paul. I don't think anybody would ever accuse you of being a Barnabas. Bless God, hallelujah, you need to get saved right now, boy. Get saved before you even put that beard down. Just get saved. Bless God, amen. I'm sorry, I just, that's John Kidwell to a T, isn't it? Amen. Can you, Brother, brother Martini, I can't imagine that, brother. But you know what? Brother Martini will reach people that John Kidwell will never reach. And I don't mean that wrong. You understand that. Okay? There have been times in my life I needed a Paul. Come up and do this. Listen here, dummy. I needed that. Okay? My poppy was that way. My father was that way. Just get with it, boy. And so, I, because of that, I'm that way with my, my boys sometimes. All right? But that doesn't help everybody. That doesn't help everybody. Tucker, my boy Tucker, doesn't need a Paul. You understand? Jethro needs a Paul. <laughs> if you know my kids, you understand what I'm saying. Jethro needs a Paul. Tucker does not. I look at Tucker, and I, try, I start talking to him about what something he's done, he's bowling before I even get done talking. I don't, I mean, I feel bad getting a paddle because he's already repented. You understand what I'm saying? He's, <laughs> and I'm like, you've already got all the crying out, but now I got to whoop you. Because he needs a Barnabas. You know where I'm saying there. Let's finish up. Now unto him. Now unto him, verse 24, that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory and exceeding joy. Now what a great verse there, and we could take a lot, a lot of time with that. But God, Jesus Christ, is able to keep us from falling. If we'd stay faithful in his word, he is the living word. If we'd stay faithful in his written word, walking with the living word, he's able to keep us from falling. All right, Praise God for assurance of salvation too. He's got me in his hand, and I ain't going nowhere, right? I'm not losing my salvation. Praise God for that. That's a key element of Scripture that a lot of people get confused on. You can't lose your salvation because it's not based on you. It's based on Jesus Christ and his power. But halfway through the verse here, and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory and exceeding joy. Faultless means without blame. When he comes again in his glory and we're presented to him without blame. Praise God for that. Holy, his, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit helping us with that, right? To present us faultless. That's what he is able to do that. Verse 25, to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Now and ever. Amen. Each one of those words in that verse we could preach a whole message on. He surely is wise. Why don't we ask him for it? Why don't we ask him for his wisdom, right? He surely is wise. The Bible says he, he will give it to us liberally if we ask. Why don't we ask for it? He certainly is God. He's talking about Jesus, the Savior here, but it says he's the only wise God. And Jesus is God. But the, but the apostate teachers here 
deny the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's reaffirming here, he is God and he is our Savior. He, glory and majesty, he's worthy of it all. Dominion and power, he certainly has it and he will have it. And he'll show us that when he comes, both now and ever. Praise God for a God that has always been and always will be. And he never changes. Aren't you glad he never changes? Aren't you glad you don't have to wake up tomorrow and wonder where God is and what he's thinking? He's just consistent. That consistency in God sure helps us. It gives assurance to us. Moms and dads, there's something to be said about your consistency in your home with your children. Because your consistency helps them have assurance in their heart. Think about the children that live in fear because they never know where mom and dad are going to be or what's going to happen or if they're going to be in a home or they're going to be on the street or if they're going to be doing this or going to be doing that or what man mom's going to bring home. You with me now? Think of the, the troubles in homes these, day because of, these days because of lack of consistency. Let us be more like Jesus. Amen. Amen and amen. I, I write a lot of notes in my Bible and I was going through that and the Lord was preaching to me while I was getting ready. And he said amen, and I wrote another amen. Amen and amen right next to it uh, because the Lord was preaching to me. So praise God for Jude. Hey, we got finished. Hopefully that's an encouragement to you. A little bit, a couple minutes late. Sorry. Brother Dave up, up there, he's excited, and he's doing this thing. All right, good. Amen. Where are we going next? Come back and find out. Amen. You know why? Because I'm still talking to the Lord about it. Amen. All right, now next week. Brother Martini's going to have a good one. Amen. You can't preach in your swim trunks and flip-flops either. Okay? All right, amen. Let's pray. And uh, no choir practice tonight because um, the choir director is going to be gone. The piano player is going to be gone. Some of the choir is going to be gone. And Brother Stanley's not here tonight. And so uh, he's working and all that. So um, we'll just be faithful on Sunday and be in your place for the warm-up. And all will be well there. Offering, don't forget the offering now. And if you want to have an opportunity to give to Brother Harris, let's pray.